Let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, that we live in a nation with first responders. And as we just sang that last song, we could hear the fire truck uh, driving north on Colgrade. We we pray uh, for them, Lord, and we just ask that you give them wisdom to whatever scene that they're going to. We pray for whoever called and needed help. Uh, we do thank you, Lord. We are reminded that we live in a, a country where uh, we have a whole body of individuals just standing by to respond to, to care for us in need. And so, Lord, we thank you for them, and we pray for this specific call that is happening right now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 6. And as you're turning there, we do have a couple of announcements. The first first announcement is to sign up for the e-newsletter. One of the things that COVID has done is we've we've kind of gotten away from like having announcements and an offering and that sort of thing. And so the, uh, the, the best way to stay up with, you know, the various announcements is to sign up online or to just let Melanie know that you want to sign up for the e-newsletter and she can get you plugged in. Um, next week, we're going to have a baptism class. If you can't be here and you'd like to be baptized, just, just see me. It's, it's really just simple. There's a few, few questions. But if you've given your life to Christ and you haven't been baptized, uh, it's, a, it's a, just a tremendous, it's an opportunity. It's something that we have been called to do as, as believers is to respond in baptism, uh, following faith in Christ. We're going to do it right here, June 13th, during, during the church service. Um, we're going to get the baptismal here. Uh, the community church is going to loan us their, their portable one. So I don't know all the details about how that works. Don't really know if the water's cold or hot or whatever. Uh, I've seen pictures of people getting baptized in Russia where they have to break the ice. So it won't be that bad. And, uh, but if you're getting baptized, you can tell everybody it was. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. Um, also that same day we're going to do, we're going to kick off with a, you know, we haven't had the, the, the barbecue in a long while. So John's been, you know, kind of chomping at the bit to get barbecuing again. So church service will probably be very short because if somebody's barbecuing tri-tip on the other side of the shade cloth, I, I, I know that I will at least be distracted by the meat. And so it's always a, just a great time. Uh, today, especially for people over here, I noticed last time about once a month, we've been doing Peterson's donuts. And so last month, I feel like a lot of people here slipped out that way and didn't realize. So after church today, there's going to be Peterson's donuts over there. So uh, make sure you leave that way and grab some donuts. I mainly don't want leftovers because I don't have the dis- the disposition of willpower of of not eating more than I should with Peterson's donuts. So I'm going to need your help uh, to consume those. So you'd be doing me a great favor in that. All right. So we're in Galatians chapter six. We're going to begin. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do ask that you would lead us today as we open the scripture and, and get to this place where, where we're landing Galatians. We're getting to so much of the, uh, the, the application of what do we do with this salvation that we have received by grace. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to be a congregation uh, filled with individuals who are filled by your spirit and led by your spirit, uh, that we would each... Uh, to figure out the gift that you have given us spiritually to serve your body. Father, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to lean upon you and that we would produce your fruit 
that we would be a healthy congregation. Lord, we are so grateful for the work that you're doing in our midst, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own, his own load. And Father, we do thank you again for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. All right. So if we were on a flight, this is where we would hear over the, the announcement. All right. We're, well, yeah, hey, we, we have a flight attendant with us. Can you we'd say, hey, we're going to, it's time. Now I'm laughing because I'm looking. I'm going to totally shank it like I'm a flight attendant. Um, but there comes a certain point in the flight, we all know it, where they come over the, the public announcement and they say, we're beginning to make our descent. It's time for you to put your seats forward, your tray tables up. We're going to come around and collect trash one last time. The conditions in your location are this temperature. And uh, we, we thank you for flying with us. Am I close? Perfect. So I'm interested in my retirement and doing that job because I want free, free flights around the world. I'm sure it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, but we get to the point where Paul is beginning to... To, to land the first two chapters he spent defending himself, his credentials, his authority as an apostle, uh, fighting against those who had slipped in behind him and said that this gospel of grace is actually incomplete. In addition to having faith in Christ, they needed to be circumcised and they needed to observe the Mosaic law. And unless they did this, they could not be saved. And so he defends who he is and his authority and how he came to his place of preaching this gospel. Then in verse chapters 3 and 4, he begins to defend the doctrine of grace. And he reasons from Abraham that long before circumcision came along, long before the Mosaic law came along, God made a promise to Abraham by which we as followers of Christ have been grafted in. And from that teaching, he begins to to expound upon the liberty that we have in Christ, the freedom and the dangers of going to one extreme of legalism, where we create a system of, of merits that if we do good deeds, then God loves us more. Or if we fail to do these, these merits, then God loves us less. And he shows that God loves us because of of we are the fact that we are his creation and that Jesus has died for us and our restoration is based upon the, the work of the cross. We live in grace alone. And then he says the other extreme, the danger that we could get into is license, that we use our liberty then to do whatever we want and that we live lives 
that are filled in, in, in sinfulness. And so he says there's this, there's this balance, there's this tension that as we walk in liberty, we don't want to go into legalism and we don't want to go into license. And, the, and he's, how do we do this? And then that led into a life that's yielded to the Holy Spirit. And that as we get in step with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that resides within us begins to manifest his fruit within our life. And as that fruit begins to be produced, we'll see that a a congregation filled with people who are living their lives, yielded to the Holy Spirit, it will produce a culture that's grounded in restoring people, restoration, not condemnation. The Judaizers were condemning the individuals for how they continually missed the mark based on their system. And so now, as we look at verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So he begins to look at the picture. We see the word brothers. He's identifying them as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. These are believers. And he says, if you identify or you see someone or you are someone maybe who is caught in a transgression. This word caught is very interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a word that identifies sort of a, a, a trap um, like, a, like that you'd catch an animal with or a prey that was caught by something that chased it down and caught it. It's in the passive tense, meaning that the individual that is caught, it wasn't something that they did by their own desire or, or will, that they were overcome. The picture, most of us, I think we've seen the National Geographic videos where they find themselves in Africa and there's a guy that's like whispering. And he's got the British accent. And you see the little gazelle drinking some water. And he just makes out all the comments like, oh, there's been so much rain. And this little gazelle has been parched. And he hasn't drank in months. And now they find this watering hole. And he's getting refreshment for his soul. And look how sweet this little guy is. And then the camera opens up. And I don't know which direction you want to go. Maybe you're an aquatic person. And you prefer to see the eyes of the crocodile poking out in the water. Or you want to see the lion that's sitting there with the tail twitching like your little kitten at home. But either one of those. Then the guy says, but this little guy's been hungry for a long time also. Will he be able to get the little gazelle? It normally doesn't work out for the gazelle, right? There, I prefer the chase when it's the lion or the cheetah and the little gazelle's like bouncing all around because I feel like there's like a 50-50 chance whether he can get out. The crocodile, they're just toast. I mean, it's like they go in and you don't get to see the struggle or the fight or anything like that. But it's when it's the land chase, sometimes they get away. But most of the time, it's like that whole pack of lions just gets the little guy and devours him. It's beautiful. It's fun to watch. And especially, especially with the British accent of like, like the guys drinking tea at uh, it's just, it's just wonderful. And so this is the picture he's describing. It's, it's this individual within the body is like that little gazelle, just trying to get some water, but then they find themselves getting caught in a transgression. They don't necessarily, they don't want to stumble into their sin, but they've stumbled into their sin. 
when I look at this, it reminds me of my early life in Christ. I couldn't tell you back then what was happening, but in that moment when I had been walking with Christ and I desired Christ and I wanted to, to be everything that God had designed for me, I continually found myself struggling in sin. It would normally work out that at Sunday I was at church, everything was wonderful. I was really thriving. I was doing well. Monday, I found myself back at the team. And then by Tuesday or Wednesday night, somebody says, hey, man, there's dollar beers at such and such. You want to go there? And so then by Saturday night, I was a total disaster and just going like, how did I do this again? Until it led to that moment where I was crying out at my cage at work to say, Lord, I, like, I, I desire everything that's here. But for some reason, I can't do it. And I'm a total hypocrite. I thought I was a hypocrite, but the reality was, is I had these two natures within me. I had this new roommate, the Holy Spirit that was, that was within me. But then I had my flesh that had controlled me for so many years. And it knew how to flip my switches. And I didn't know how to live in the spirit. And I just kept stumbling and stumbling and stumbling. And it was so frustrating and painful, and that wrestling match that I had with God, I do believe that through that, God led me into relationships with other believers that helped me through that season of trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian. And so we have this, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, it's just identifying the situation. Now, what's to happen next? Is he talking to the believers that are caught in transgression or is he speaking to those that are observing? I think he's speaking to those that are observing. Charles Swindoll says on this passage, Paul begins by describing a grace-oriented, spirit-filled response to fellow believers who wander from the path of submission of God and obedience to his word. Legalists, of course, would condemn them. And so he says, you who are spiritual, there's no real definition or explanation of, of what spiritual is. If we were to back up a few verses and look at the fruit of the spirit, he says, uh, let me open up my Bible instead of uh, butchering. After the fruit of the spirit, he says in verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. This is that military term for being in step, in cadence with the Holy Spirit. And so I think that this says those who are spiritual, there's no timeline for how long you've been walking with the Lord. Maybe you've been a Christian for a month, but the last month of your life has been filled with obedience to Christ. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years and you have been walking with Christ I think this should catch all. If you are a believer, it should grasp your attention that you have some responsibility in whatever Paul is about to say. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so the instruction is restoration. This can be a medical term for setting a broken bone um, it can be a word that could be used to describe the mending of a fishing net that had been torn open and sort of stitching. I'm not, a, I've, I didn't live back then. I'd never cast nets in that way. But from what I understand, the nets can tear 
and there's a way that you sort of stitch back the net to make it usable again. And so the command is that if you see somebody who's been caught in sin, struggling with sin, struggling with their old life, even though they are a professing Christian and they desire to be walking with Christ, but they just don't seem to see how to like break the cycle. Those who are spiritual are called to come alongside and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, which I don't think needs much explanation. This isn't in a spirit of condemnation. This isn't in a spirit of judgment, pointing out their failure to make them feel bad. The church is supposed to be a hospital, not a courtroom. I'm trying to figure out how far I want to go with this. I've also said that, you know, the church is supposed to be like firemen, not like a police officer. I've been on scenes and there's, of course, the immediate rendering of first aid. But as soon as a fireman gets there, that's no longer the, the police officer's responsibility. The firemen just want to help the person and get them to the hospital. The police officer's like, who is at fault? What ticket can I issue? Does somebody need to go to jail? This is important. This is an important task. If you've had a loved one that was hurt and injured by a drunk driver, there needs to be some judgment. There needs to be some consequence. But the church, we're supposed to be firemen, restoration. God is the ultimate judge and he will bring judgment. And so we're supposed to bring restoration. In the book of Corinthians, I'm not going to look at the whole story, but in 1 Corinthians, there was a situation that was really bad. That The church was out of control. And there was an, an, an illicit relationship between two individuals that was so bad that Paul says, not even the pagans live like this. And yet this is happening within the church. And you're turning a blind eye. You're not doing anything to, to right this vile sin that is happening in your midst. And so then we, 1 Corinthians end, and then you get pick up 2 Corinthians, and some time has elapsed. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul then picks up with that same situation because apparently they did deal with the sin that was in their midst. And it seems that the individual or individuals repented and they stopped doing what they were doing. But the church continued to bring judgment and consequence upon them to the point where it was breaking them. And Paul says, it's, it's enough. He says, so that you should rather turn and forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg of you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. He says, if they've, if they've repented and they've, not, they've stopped doing what they were doing, the aim is restoration. The aim is not condemnation. We're not to so break them that they're never welcomed back in the fellowship. None of us is perfect. The spiritual one, there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. And so he reminds them that their aim in gentleness is to bring about restoration because it's what's good for them. 
We are supposed to be a hospital and mending people, not a courtroom of judging people. He goes on to say, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so as he gives this instruction to restore such a one, he pumps the brakes and gives a warning, knowing the human spirit. And I think that there's sort of two extremes that he's guarding against in this passage. The, the one extreme, I think, is trying to rescue somebody that's struggling with a particular sin that you struggle with, that you don't necessarily have strength to guard yourself from. And so I think he's saying, before you go rescue, make sure that you don't end up stumbling. You know, one of the number one rules of life-saving when you're teaching life-saving to somebody in the water is it's, it's, it's amazing how many drowning vic- victims are actually rescuers who are trying to go and rescue the individual that was drowning. And so you notice lifeguards, they carry that little flotation device. The reason that they carry that is so that they can offer that to the individual that's panicking in the water. They can grab hold of that and not the rescuer and drown the rescuer. And so I don't think that he wants us entering into situations where we ultimately end up stumbling into sin. First Corinthians ten twelve says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he does not fall. And so that we not get so arrogant to think, ah, they're really in there. We need to be careful as we go in. We need to realize our susceptibility to sin and our own struggle with the flesh. And so to be very cautious as we bring somebody in, I think another extreme or the other side of the pendulum is that when you look at an individual that you have been walking with Christ for so long that you have all of your externals figured out and that you look really good on the outside. And then you begin to look down on the individual that is in sin and you go at them in judgment and condemnation. And so I think that there is sort of this ultimately on both ends, the spirit of humility, the humility of like, you know what? I might struggle with this. I need to be cautious so that I don't end up falling into whatever they're struggling with. I need to go in with a spirit of humility, recognizing that the only reason I have any success in my life spiritually is because of what the spirit has done within me, not because I have any innate goodness within me. He goes on to say, I turn to verse three, but I don't know if I'm there yet. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're called to come alongside one another and to help each other with a very, the various burdens that we face in life. This word for burden describes an object that is virtually impossible for an individual to pick up on their own, or if they can pick it up on their own, to, to carry it on their own. This is an extra heavy or difficult thing. You know, sometimes you get those really awkward shaped items that you can't do it on your own, but if one other person was to help you, it's super easy to carry the load. This can be the crushing weight of sin on an individual's life, or it can be 
the magnitude of a responsibility that we've been called to. I think of like the Great Commission, that if we have been called to fulfill the Great Commission, to bring the gospel to the whole world, this isn't something that any one individual can do on their own, but it needs to be done collectively. The context here seems to be sin or something in life that hits a person from the side that they're just devastated and they need help. And so we are called to bear one another's burdens. And as we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, in the gospel of John, spanning from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, I feel like in recent weeks, I've brought this up a couple of times. Jesus begins by washing the disciples' feet as an example of he being the leader, taking this role as a servant, as one that was the least of them, and washing their feet in humility. And at the end of the chapter, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so as believers, as we are in step with the Holy Spirit and we see another brother or sister in Christ struggling, going through a trial, the spirit within us should prompt us to, to, to help them. This week, I saw this in a, like yesterday in a really beautiful way. At the men's Bible study on Saturday morning, one individual looked at another individual and said, hey, I saw in the e-newsletter that you guys are going through a particular struggle. Can I, can I bring you a, a meal or something this week? And they said, yeah, I'd love that. By, by like 10 a.m., every single guy in, in the Bible study had committed to providing a meal to this individual's family for the whole rest of the week. And, and the wife this morning is like, this is really, normally it's the wives that want to do this, but this is like all the men. I'm like, yeah, you're going to get a lot of barbecue this week. And she kind of smiled. But it's beautiful when this happens. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about that he had experienced a depression that was like so gripping on him that, that he just wanted to depart. Like, and he was so depressed. And he says, you know what? But God who comforts the depressed sent Titus. And in this phrase, he says, but not only did he send Titus to encourage me, but you also encouraged Titus before he came to me. And so you see sort of this, this pain it forward blessing within the body of Christ that Titus was going through a difficult time. The church in Corinth encouraged and strengthened Titus. Then Titus from being filled up, he was then able to go out and then encourage the apostle Paul who was going through a struggle. Bearing one another's burdens. And when we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. This isn't legalism. This is functioning within liberty, and it's a beautiful thing. There is so much power when we come alongside one another in the body of Christ. My first time in church, I, when I experienced this for the first time, really in truth and depth, not as a kid in the church I grew up, I, that, but at 20, 21, 22, when I finally went to church, and all of my opposition, not wanting to go, 
thinking I'd known all about church and all of the troubles and that nobody cared about each other. And I show up at church in flip-flops, t-shirt, and, and, and shorts to a pastor who's preaching barefoot in shorts and a t-shirt to this church who didn't seem to care about my outside. Like they didn't care what I looked like. They didn't care about tattoos. They didn't care that I was only there for the free pizza. They, they genuinely seemed to care for me as somebody for whom Christ had died. And it had a radical impact on me to be around these people who cared and loved. I'd never experienced it. And I think that this is what Jesus means. That we fulfill the law of Christ when we love one another in this way. There is nothing more powerful than, than true love without strings attached than anything else in the world. This also implies that there needs to be vulnerability on our part. That we get close to one another. That we can smell each other's stink and see our shortfalls and our imperfections. You know, this, this whole thing that transpired yesterday, had somebody not put in the e-newsletter like, hey, this is how you can be praying for us. Our family's going through a really hard time. That, that wouldn't have happened had there not been an established sort of relationship of built trust amongst each other. And then because there's a built trust, there's comfort in, in sharing, you know what, I'm struggling in this area and we could use prayer. And then because there's that built trust on the other, trust on the other end, the other end says, we would love to help. Can we do this for you? This is why being involved in Bible studies, the prayer meetings, lingering after church or before church is so important because rubbing elbows with one another, it's how we develop meaningful relationships. Popping into church, you know, 10 minutes after it started and then splitting five minutes before it ends you're not going to develop relationships that way. And the, the depth of relationship that, you, that is available to you in this context is lost and it's really at your expense. And so we as a church want to create opportunities for us to develop relationships so that we can share one another's burdens. So today we're having Peterson's Donuts. It's not about filling you with sugar. It's, it's really about stalling you so that you're eating a donut and talking with one another so that you know each other. Verse three, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, humility, humility. As he calls and puts this burden of responsibility to restore one another, to love and to care for each other, it seems that there's all of these instructions about humility before you get too big for your britches, realize you're just a sinner saved by grace also. It's in your weakness that Christ's strength is magnified. So for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. Don't go into this, oh, I'm going to help everybody because I got my whole life together and I'm perfect and I I've just mastered Christianity, and so I'm going to be a blessing to everybody because I've created the template of how you can live your life. He goes on to say, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. Again, I think he's saying we're not cops. 
He's saying to focus on your own life. And as you build up your relationship with Christ out of the outflow, you'll be able to help others. We don't go into this so often. People want to build themselves up by breaking other people down and they become very critical and they point out all of the imperfections and faults and how others are missing the mark. And as they do this, they actually feel like that they're building themselves up instead of actually working on their own relationship with Christ. Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount gives one of the most hilarious illustrations, in my opinion, as they're up there on the beautiful Mount of Beatitudes. And he says, if you want to help your brother who has a little speck of sawdust in his own eye, you better remove the telephone pole that's in your own eye. And I think he made this really hilarious picture of a guy walking around with a telephone pole in his eye, trying to help a guy that's just got a little piece of sawdust. My father-in-law always says we need to hold ourselves individually to the highest biblical standards that we can, meaning that I, Gunner, want to hold Gunner to the highest biblical standard that I can possibly do. And I want to hold everybody else to the very lowest biblical standard. So often we do it the other way around, where we want to hold everybody up to perfection, and we give ourselves a whole bunch of grace. Paul tells young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, to pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And what I hear the Apostle Paul telling this young pastor is, you're in the trenches with them. You need to focus on your own life in Christ. You need to pay attention to your teaching, how you live your life. And as you do this, you're going to set an example. And you ultimately, by your own example of humility and passion for Christ, you're going to have an effect on other people. If we focus on ourselves and our relationship with God, ultimately what it does is it forces us to realize how much grace God has given to each one of us. And if I'm a person who's received a whole lot of grace, when I meet somebody who's struggling, I'm not going to go at them with judgment. I'm going to go at them with, and I remember when I was there, it's really hard to be where you are. I love you. I'm not here to judge you. I want to help you in your relationship with, your, with Christ so that you can experience victory. And then we come to verse five and we read, for each will have to bear his own load. And this is where the critics of the Bible will say, oh, the Bible's filled with inconsistencies and, and it, it, the, there's conflictions. It doesn't make sense. And isn't this a conflict? Just in verse two, we were told to bear one another's burden. And now we're told to bear our individual load. Isn't it? conflicting with and it's it's not in the greek it's a different word the first word is something that's too large to pick up by yourself it requires a multitude of people to lift and to carry and to move the word for load here is actually a mil- like a backpack from the military like something that an individual would carry to do their own work and it paints this picture in life we have our individual responsibilities and burdens that we need to carry there are times when we get hit from the side where life throws us something, a a, a crisis, whether it's 
sin has affected you, whether there's a trial of some magnitude that is more than you can handle, and that requires a team effort. But we're also called to carry our own load. And I think that this is like the tension that the church faces so often between wanting to help people and wanting to enable people to continue going down a sinful lifestyle. We have personal responsibility. We have our individual packs to carry. We have to stewardship the things that God has given to us. And so often when somebody comes to the church and there's a need, it's like, okay, well, let's sit down. Let's talk. What's going on in your life? So sometimes giving them some money doesn't help at all. Then there are other times when a person's not even coming to help. They're not asking for money. They're just explaining their situation and they're trying to fix their life and they're going through all the processes of, of getting their life back in order and taking responsibility where then actually some financial help could help. And we've, we've done that in the past where we've helped an individual with financial. And then there's times when it's like you, uh, 20 extra bucks isn't going to solve any of your problems. You need to reorientate your life. And so there's, there's difficult in the wisdom of figuring out this, this balance. So what do we do with this section? It's, it's a beautiful passage. I think it embodies so much of Christianity. I love that so much of the, the Bible uses military illustrations and terms because it, 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 it just with my background, it, it's helpful to me to figure out how things are supposed to function. In the military, we always had a saying that when we finished some sort of operation, whether it was training or whatever, you first had to deal with team gear. So there was like collective gear that everybody used, like, you know, boats and stuff, you know, like I'll just, boats and stuff. Um, Everybody would have to work together to maintain, clean up, put away the team gear. And then you you would move on to your individual gear, your own weapon, your own, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know. It's been a long time. I'm not using this stuff anymore. But like, guns, dive gear, all of your individual responsibility, you get that stuff put away. And then when that was all done, then you could take care of your personal self, like hopping in the shower, cleaning off the face paint, going about your own personal matters. And in the Christian life, I almost think it's just the opposite. The order is the Christian life, we're called to Christ to make a decision about whether we've received him as our savior or we've rejected him. And then as we believe in Christ, the process begins to take shape in our life where we learn what it looks like in walking with him and living with him and for him. And then as we grow, we're told that he gives us gifts. And then we begin to use those gifts for the body and for the team and helping out. As we are filled up individually, we are to pour ourselves out and to use it for the collective good. Again, we are a hospital, not a courtroom. Our aim is restoration, not condemnation. Our, our picture of, of church, I have a, an illustration I've used a, a, a number of times, but I think of it in some ways in a way I haven't used because I've been watching the Padres a lot. Yesterday, the Padres were shellacking a team. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Or maybe it was two days ago. And 
the pitcher's like just scratching his head. I think they had like 12 players taken out because of COVID. And so they're playing with like their high school team. And the pot, it was like 16 to one. And the pitcher a couple times, you know, like the coaches, all of the team come to the mound and kind of talk to him. And Gideon's like, are they going to take him out? I'm like, no, take him out won't do any good because their backup is worse. Like they, they can't do anything. They're just kind of saying, like, you just got to hang in there. We'll get through this eventually. You're going you're gonna to make it. It wasn't like, hey, man, why are you throwing all of these stupid pitches that are let him hit the ballpark? They, they went there to try to encourage him. They tried to encourage one another as a team. Just all you guys got to get is two more outs. It might take 10 more runs to do it, but you'll do it. Like, you know, like in the SEAL teams, when we got in a firefight or we were training for a firefight, you broke contact and you, you broke away. And when you got to a, re, a, a fairly safe distance, for a very hasty sort of getting everybody together, you would come together in a circle. The senior guy and the communicator would be in the middle that I was always in the middle. And we had to kind of go around the outside and we say, are you hurt? Do you have any injuries? How much ammunition do you have? And guys would give us a quick, like, Hey, I am okay. I have two magazines left or I have no magazines left. And then as we sort of went around the circle, we say, okay, Johnny here has five magazines left. Let's take three of his magazines, give it to the guy that has no magazines. Hey, such and such has a bullet wound. Let's get the medic over here to quickly treat the bullet wound. And then we got to get going. That should be the picture of church on Sundays. We live in a fallen world. This isn't a place for us to be judgmental of each other. This is a place, whether you want to use the baseball illustration or the combat illustration, how are you doing out there? You've been in the world all week. Like, how are you holding up? Are you hurt? Have you been injured? Can we, can we love on you to heal you? Can we give you some ammunition, which is the word of God that's biblical? We just, you know, it's Ephesians. How can we help you so that you can go out and walk by the spirit this week? And so this requires us to, to, to mingle our lives in a significant way that where we actually really know each other where we can be in tune with each other and the ups and downs of the cycles of life so that when we are in a low spot, we can respond as a church to you and to help your needs. And if you are in a low spot to be in that place where you receive restoration and love and care, it's, it's a very humbling and powerful place to be. A simple thing you can do today is grab a donut. We're going to end right now. Grab a donut. Hang out. Share a little bit of yourself with another person. With that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you that this organization that you've created, known as the church, has been created to be a hospital, has been created by you, pieced together by your people, filled with your spirit to bring about restoration to lives that have been separated from you, lives that have experienced hurt and pain. Father, we pray that you would help us individually, Lord, to get our lives in step with the Holy Spirit, that we would walk with him, that we would seek him and and allow him to lead us in our lives. 
Father, the battle that rages within our bodies is so strong and so powerful. Our flesh, it just knows how to get us off course and we need your spirit within us to cleanse us, to help us to learn your ways. And Father, as we get our lives in order, carrying our packs Father, we pray that you would build us up in a way that we would then begin to look to others around us, that we would have sympathy and empathy for those who are struggling in various areas, that we would be able to come alongside them gently and to love them and to equip them and to help them in their walk with you. Father, I do thank you for our church that does so much of this. We pray that you would bless our time a fellowship now as we end. We thank you for these donuts and we pray that you'd just lead us this week. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.